heard in the news recently, the reign of Queen Elizabeth II ended on September 8th uh, when she passed away. According to a news report, her reign of 70 years, 214 days is the longest of any British monarch, the longest of any female head of state in history. They also report that she has the second longest verified reign of any sovereign in history. She was queen regent of 32 sovereign states during her lifetime and 15 at the time of her death, including the United Kingdom. You know, there's been a lot of questions and confusion about the rule and reign of the queen or king, that matter, of, of England and uh, their kingdom. Like, what, what kind of reign do they have there? And what authority do they have? Well, just like in the days when Jesus walked the earth, there was a lot of confusion about his kingdom, the kingdom of heaven. Even today, there is much confusion about the kingdom of heaven. As we continue in our series in the parables, we'll be looking at another parable from Jesus found in the gospel of Matthew chapter 13. Uh, this is found on page 972 in the church Bibles. We'll be looking at Matthew chapter 13, starting at verses 24 through 30, and then we'll be jumping ahead to verse 36 through 43. And I would encourage you to please open up your Bibles and follow along as I read again. Uh, it's on 972 in the church Bibles, uh, Matthew chapter 13, verses 24 through 30, and then 36 through 43. This is God's holy, infallible, life-giving, and life-transforming word. Jesus presented another parable to them, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while his men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went away. But when the wheat sprouted and bore grain, then the tares became evident also. The slaves of the landowner came and said to him, Sir, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have tares? And he said to them, an enemy has done this. The slaves said to him, do you want us to go then to go and gather them up? But he said, no, for while you are gathering up the tares, you may uproot the wheat with them. Allow both to grow together until the harvest. And then the time of the harvest, I will say to the reapers, first, Gather up the tares and bind them in bundles to burn them up, but gather the wheat into my barn. Then he left the crowds and went into the house, and his disciples came to him and said, Explain to us the parable of the tares of the field. And he said, This is the one who sows the good seed is the Son of Man. And the field is the world. And as far and as for the good seed, these are the sons of the kingdom, and the tares are the sons of the evil one. And the enemy who sowed them is the devil, and the harvest is the end of the age, and the reapers are angels. So just as the tares are gathered up and burned with fire, so shall it be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send forth his angels, and they will gather out of his kingdom, all stumbling blocks 
and those who commit lawlessness and will throw them into the furnace of fire. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their father. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And Lord, bless the reading, hearing, and obeying of his holy word. Would you please pray with me? Well, Father God in heaven, we come before you this morning acknowledging again that this is the day that you have desired to gather your people. We pray, Lord, that, that we would worship you in spirit and in truth this morning. We pray, Lord, that you would help us to have ears to hear and to understand and to obey your word this morning. For it's in Jesus' precious name that we pray. Amen. Well, as we look at God's word this morning, we will see that Jesus shared another, another parable with, uh, which some of the people called the parable of the wheat and the weeds. We see that Jesus shared this parable of the wheat and the weeds with a crowd of people, not just his disciples. Uh, we know this from verse 36, where he said that he, namely Jesus, left the crowds after he shared the parable, and then he went into the house with his disciples. Going back to verse 24, however, it says that Jesus presented or shared another parable with them, this, this crowd of people. And Jesus began by saying to the crowd, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. You know, Jesus was talking to the crowd, uh, you know, and sharing with them what the kingdom of heaven was like. And the, the crowd there that day would have had some understanding of the kingdom. They had been under the rule and reign of the Roman Empire or the kingdom of Rome for some time. That is, it's said that uh, by the time of the birth of Jesus, the Romans had established this two-tiered system of government consisting of Roman overseers and Jewish leaders who exercised control or dominion in the name of Rome. This was the, the system of power in which the family of Herod, the great, grew to prominence. Uh, the Jewish people would have been um, most of the people in the crowd that day, and, and Jesus was addressing with them these ideas about the kingdom of heaven. They may have known what it had said in 1 Chronicles chapter 29, verses 10 through 12, where uh, David speaks and said, Therefore David, King David, blessed the Lord in the presence of all the assembly. And David said, Blessed are you, O Lord, the God of Israel, our Father, forever and ever. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty for all that is in the heavens and the earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted as head above all. Another well-known prophecy found in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6 says, For a child will be born to us, a son will be given, and the government will rest on his shoulders, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace, there will be no end of the increase of his government or of his peace on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and righteousness from then, thence on forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. What an amazing promise they had 
of the promise of the coming of the Messiah King and his future reign in his kingdom. Yet the crowds were, were looking for a different type of king, an, an earthly king and an earthly kingdom. They wanted a king who would come and save them from this tyrannical rule of Rome. They really didn't know the truth about the kingdom of heaven, and so Jesus shared this parable and explained uh, the kingdom in terms that they would have been better acquainted. It is attested that Jesus lived in this agrarian society in which the majority of people would have had experiences living on farms, working with food, crops, or other livestock. Um, he, his audiences would have included shepherds and grape growers and wheat farmers, to name a few. Uh, Jesus said that the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. And so Jesus began his parable by talking about planting of good seeds, the planting of, of good seeds. Now, if Jesus was talking to a group of, of, young, of a younger generation in our day, he might be talking about the game of Minecraft. You guys, children, you guys know Minecraft? Some of you adults might know Minecraft. And, and there apparently are these best seeds that are needed for Minecraft. I know nothing about Minecraft. But, uh, but the need for planting good seeds in Minecraft or in your field, the best seeds, it's, it's the same. You need to have good, viable seeds if you want to grow anything of value. Anyone planting seeds in this day would have, would have been doing this for his own uh, food supply or as a business to supply food to others. A, a farmer in this day would have known what the good seeds looked like. Um, the good seed may have come from his own crop that he grew the previous seasons. The farmer planted his good seed in order to get a good crop. That was the purpose of his growing these seeds. This farmer would have planted his good seed in his field in order to provide food for his family and likely others. So this was not just some hobby of, of planting things in his spare time. Uh, it was of vital importance that his good seed would grow it would bear fruit and one day be harvested. Uh, my brother-in-law, Michael, Cindy's brother, uh, is now retired. Uh, he's my age, so it's a little bit envious. Uh, <laughs> but he's, he's retired. He has a, a lot of land, and he decided he's going to grow this very large uh, garden with all kinds of fruits and vegetables. And Cindy and I uh, got to tour his garden early on in the season when it was just starting to grow. And he showed us uh, that uh, his most difficult problem was the problem of the weeds. And uh, he showed us all these various tools he had to get the weeds. And he was showing us he's pulling the weeds. And after planting uh, the good seeds, there, there is this problem of the weeds. And every day uh, that we were there, he was pulling up these awful weeds. And, and then the next morning, after we had a good night's sleep, guess what? There were more weeds. Boys and girls, there were more weeds. <laughs> What? Where did they come from? Well, that's, that's what's going on in our passage today. As, as Jesus continued to share this parable, he too brought up the problem of the weeds. He said, but while the men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went away. The farmer who owned the field had workers who were sleeping, and they were sleeping because they had most likely had a very long day's work. You know, they weren't being lazy here. 
Jesus said that while they were sleeping, his enemy came and, and sowed tares or weeds. Most of us don't know what a tear is. It's really a weed among the weeds. And the, the concept of, of having an enemy plant weeds in someone else's field seems rather absurd or at least very unusual to those living today in a non-agricultural society. You know, I, I, if I had an enemy, I'm not going to go plant weeds in his garden. I don't know. But perhaps many of you may remember a different kind of saboteur here in Upper Darby many years ago. It was about 10 years ago. I'll, I'll never forget. It, the police arrested this owner of a pizza joint um, by the name of Nicholas Galeasatos, and he had uh, cross-town rivalries of other pizza places, and, and he didn't like them. They were his enemies. So apparently the police caught him putting bags of live mice in his enemies, his competitions, pizza shops, up in the, up on the, ah, ah, okay, I just want you to know, it might be better to make your own pizza now, from now on. Um, so here, you know, here we have, this is, this is sort of real life for us here. There are enemies out there, people do horrible, horrible things, right? Um, but, you know, there, there's a, a commentator who wrote, you know, this is actually, this was actually a very clever tactic uh, back then, of the enemy of this farmer. You see, when, when the farmer sowed the good seed, the enemy didn't try just to dig up his good seed. He didn't try to burn his field. He didn't poison the wheat or steal the wheat. Instead, he, he plants weeds among the wheat, weeds that at first look like the wheat. These, these particular weeds were called tares, like it says in our scriptures here in biblical times, or, or we would call them darnel these days. And, and sometimes they're even called what is called false wheat. You can look that up if you want and understand this. This is a real thing. And this, this false wheat, these weeds look just like the real wheat until it bears seed. But by then, the, the roots of the, the weed, they have surrounded the roots of the wheat in order to, to suck up all of their nutrients. And because its roots are so intertwined with the roots of the wheat, pulling up this weed would have also uprooted the wheat. So even though the, the farmer's servants in this parable, they, they saw, saw the problem. They want to go out and get rid of these weeds, like my brother-in-law just wants to rip out every weed. By the way, he wasn't a wheat farmer. Um, so this is particular for wheat. But the farmer wisely tells them no, because at, the, at that point, uh, they can't be distinguished from one another. And even if they could, pulling up the one would have also uprooted the other. So there's a problem with the weeds, and the weeds need to be removed. But the farmer or the landowner says uh, there is a need for patience and growth until the harvest. The need for patience and growth until the harvest. He, he says in verse 30, allow both to grow together until the harvest, and in the time of the harvest, I will say to the reapers, first gather up the tares, those, those weeds, and then bind them in bundles and burn them up. But gather the wheat into my barn. Not only in this uh, parable, uh, but anyone who is a farmer must be patient in waiting uh, for the harvest. You know, I had a friend uh, growing up in Wilmington, Delaware, whose parents had uh, blueberry bushes in their yard. And, and I was uh, one of the beneficiaries of the blueberry harvest. My friend Rob would come over and he said, come on over, we get lots of blueberries. And I'm like, oh, psych, yes, let's eat some blueberries. And, and when the end of the season happened, ended, I was like, bum, no more blueberries? I've got to wait till next summer? I, it's hard to wait. You know, today, 
Today, I can go into the grocery store, our local Aldi, and be uh, buying freshly harvested blueberries from all over the Western Hemisphere, from as far south as Peru. Uh, by the way, they're the best blueberries. Uh, they take all the stems off, all the way up for as far as Canada. And yet, we are, we are, we are typically not very patient people, um, but that is what Jesus is telling the crowd in this parable about the importance of waiting and being patient for the harvest. As I mentioned earlier, after Jesus had, had finished sharing the parable with the crowds, he went into the house with the disciples. He shared the story of the parable with the crowd, but not the meaning. So after he was alone with his disciples, we see that Jesus explained the parable to his disciples. Jesus explained the parable to his disciples. And only God is able to help us to know and to understand uh, the parables and all of scriptures for that matter. He gives us his Holy Spirit for those who believe. But, but Jesus begins by explaining who the two persons were that were planting the seeds. The two persons planting the seeds are the son of man and the devil. Jesus first mentions uh, that it is the son of man who is the one who sows or plants the good seed. Well, who is the son of man? You know, the, the definite article, the, in front of son of man was a very important distinction. God called the prophet Ezekiel a son of man. According to one commentator, he said God called him that 93 different times. So obviously son of man, anybody could be the son of man, but God uh, calling Ezekiel a son of man, he was simply calling Ezekiel a human being. And because I am a human being, uh, I am also a son of man. But Jesus makes a big distinction with that definite article, the, before the son of man, saying that he is the unique son of man. It is said that Jesus has referred to the son of man 88 different times in the New Testament. Uh, it is the primary title that Jesus used when he referred to himself, and this is who he is referring to himself as the Son of Man now, he's speaking to his disciples. And it may be that they, they understood, but almost certainly not the crowds. Earlier in the Gospel of Matthew chapter 8, verse 19 and following, we see that a scribe came up to Jesus and said, Jesus, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, well, look, foxes have holes, Birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. He's talking about himself as the Son of Man. And in the book of Acts, chapter 7, verse 55, we see Stephen, just before he is martyred, where, he is say, where it says, uh, being full of the Holy Spirit, he gazed intently into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And Stephen said, Behold, I see the heavens opened, up and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Well, just like Stephen, we, we see that Jesus was referring to himself as the Son of Man throughout the Gospels, like he is doing in our passage this morning. Uh, when Jesus was referring to himself as the Son of Man, he was communicating his uniqueness as the one and only Son of Man. But what was he trying to say? What was he trying to convey? in calling himself the Son of Man, because he could have called himself the Son of God, which would have been better, I don't know. But uh, in the Gospel of John chapter 1, Jesus is called something else. He's called the Word. 
Jesus, John writes in the, in the beginning, the word, namely Jesus, and the, was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came to being through him, and apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being. In him was life, and the life uh, was the light of men. The light shined in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. And in verse 14, it says, And the word, namely Jesus, became flesh and dwelt among us. And we saw his glory, the glory of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus, the the second person of the triune God, is the Son of God and the Son of Man. When Jesus calls himself the Son of Man, he is, in part, referring to his humanness, right? For sure. He left his throne in heaven to take on human flesh. The Apostles' Creed that we recite on, on the first Sunday of every month states that he was conceived by the Holy Spirit. He was born of the Virgin Mary. He was suffered under Pontius Pilate. He was crucified. He was dead and buried. These point to the humanness of the Son of Man. But, but when Jesus calls himself the Son of Man here, he is also referring, referring to himself as being deity, being God the Son, the second person of the Trinity. In Daniel chapter 7, which I believe we read earlier today, um, we see that Daniel had this vision of the interior heavenly court of God, and this is where he saw the Ancient of Days enthroned, and the judgment was set. And one, it says, and one came before the Ancient Days like the Son of Man who is then given the authority to judge the world. This is none other than Jesus who descended from heaven to earth. This, when Jesus refers to himself as the Son of Man, it is also a claim to his divine authority, to his being deity. As the Son of Man, he has, given, he has divine authority over all of life because he is their creator. He is their sustainer. It is the Son of Man who came to seek and to save the lost. When Jesus forgives sins, he said, I did this so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority to forgive sins. Amen. And so when the Son of Man planted these good seeds, it is because he alone is truly good. Remember at creation, we can read in Genesis chapter 1 that God saw that all that he made, including creating Adam and Eve, and behold, it was very good. And this was, however, just before the fall of mankind into sin. But let's see, there were two persons planting seeds in our parable. Uh, Jesus explained that the second person planting seeds was the devil. Jesus shared that the devil is the enemy. It is his enemy, the the devil who plants the weeds, those tares. We, We have seen the evidence of the devil, the enemy of God around since the fall of Adam and Eve into sin. It was the devil who disguised himself as a talking serpent who who was planting seeds then. He's planting seeds of deception and doubt and denial about who God was and and what what God really said. This is what the enemy, the devil, did in the Garden Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve. It says in chapter 3 of Genesis, now the serpent was more crafty than any beast of the field, which the Lord the God had made. And he said to the woman, Indeed, has God said you shall not eat from any tree in the garden? And the woman said, Well, from the fruit of the trees in the garden we may eat, but 
from the fruit of the tree which is in the middle of the garden, God has said, you shall not eat from it or touch it or you will die. The serpent said to the woman, ah, you will surely not die. For God knows that in the day that you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. It was the devil there in the garden who planted these seeds of deception and doubt and denial. And she fell into the enemy's trap, falling into sin. She was deceived by the devil and began to doubt God and his word. And and it is since then that we have this problem of weeds. We literally have this problem of weeds since then. Literally, God said, uh, Adam, because you listened to the voice of your wife and ate from the tree that God commanded them not to eat from, cursed will be the ground because of his sin. In toil, he would eat of it all the days of his life. Both thorns and thistles, those weeds, right? This is the beginning of the problem of weeds. The evil one, the the devil, is the enemy of Jesus, the Son of Man. And it is very important that we have a right and biblical understanding of of the devil and his power compared to the power and authority of Jesus, the Son of Man. The devil is also known as Satan. He does not have unlimited power. This is very important. You know, you can look at this parable and say, oh, we got... Jesus, the son of man, and we've got the devil, and they're just equal opposites. No, not at all. In the book of Job, we learn that Satan had to get permission from God in order to inflict any suffering upon Job and his family. Not only is the devil not omnipotent, all-powerful, he is not omnipresent. He can only be in one place at one time, okay? The devil was certainly able to plant seeds of deception and doubt to Adam and Eve, uh, and he was, but he was unsuccessful in attempting this, these seeds of doubt to tempt Jesus into sin. Jesus overcame him. Every time the devil tempted Jesus, the Son of Man, with deception and lies, we see that Jesus overcame and conquered. When Jesus died on the cross, the devil may have thought, ah, I have won. But then three days later, Jesus rose from the dead, conquering sin, death, and the devil once and sprawl. Um, though the devil is like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour, we can know that Jesus has already overcome the devil. You can know that. In our parable this morning, Jesus explained that not only were there two persons planting seeds, there were two seeds that were growing there as well. There are two seeds growing. Jesus first mentions that the Son of Man, namely himself, is planting the good seeds in the world. And Jesus explained that the good seeds are what? The, are who? The sons of the kingdom, the children of his kingdom. In other words, the children of his kingdom. This is not a, this verse is not a proof text. As some people would say, oh, oh we're, we're born good, aren't we? No. <laughs> look, you got to look at other scripture to show that this is not true. This is where we need to use scripture to interpret scripture. We are born sinners. David talks about that, being sinful in the womb. We are, we are not born good. We are all born needing to be saved by God's grace through faith in Jesus Christ. Jesus is explaining that the Son of Man is the one who chooses his people, who saves his people, who forgives his people, who gives us his goodness and his righteousness, therefore making us good. We are not the ones that are good on our own. He is the one who gives us faith to believe and allows us to be children of the king, and therefore children 
of his kingdom. So when we put our trust in Jesus, we are forever part of his kingdom even now. We are part of his kingdom even now. On the other hand, there is still the devil, okay? He is still out there. The enemy of the Son of Man, our enemy, who continues to plant weeds in this world. Jesus explains that these weeds are sons of the evil one. The devil does not have the same power and authority as Jesus has, like I mentioned before. The devil has no power or authority over God's children. The devil cannot possess you if you are putting your trust in Christ alone for your salvation. However, the devil, even though he is defeated, is still trying with all his might to plant seeds of deception and doubt and discouragement among the children of God. We are told, however, in Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 and following, that we are to be strong in the Lord and that the power of his might. We are to put on the full armor of God so that you'll be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. There's still scheming of the devil going on. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and against the powers and against the forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, we are to take up the full armor of God so that we can resist evil in the day. And having done so, we would be able to stand firm. God provides his armor and all that we need to resist the schemes of the devil. Amen. And so Jesus explained uh, the two persons that were planting, the Son of Man and the devil, the two seeds that were planted, and then he addresses the two destinations. The two destinations. Jesus first focuses on the problem of the weeds, uh, the son of the evil one. Jesus says in verse 40, just as the the tares, those weeds, are gathered up and burned with fire, so it will be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send forth his angels and they will gather out of his kingdom all stumbling blocks, those who commit lawlessness, and will throw them into the furnace of fire. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Jesus tells us, that the harvest is at the end of the age and that the reapers are the angels. Jesus spoke on this later on in the Gospel of Matthew chapter 25, and it explains it well. It says, when the Son of Man uh, comes in his glory, that is the end of the age. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. And before him will be gathered all of the nations, I love it because we have, we have a lot of nations represented here at Crossroads. And it's a, a, just a great picture here. But he will have all of the nations coming before him. Sep- and then he is going to, however, he is going to separate people one from another. As a shepherd sep- separates the sheep from the goats. Or in our parable, he's going to be separating the wheat from the weeds. And he will place the sheep or the wheat on his right hand and the goats or the wheats on his left hand. And then the king will say to those on his right, come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For when I was hungry, you gave me food to eat. When I was thirsty, you gave me drink. When I was a stranger, you welcomed me. When I was naked, you clothed me. When I was sick, you visited me. 
when I was in prison, you came to visit me. And then they said, well, when do we do these things to you? And Jesus said, truly, I say to you, you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it for me. And then he will say to those on his left, those goats, those weeds, and he's going to say, depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels, for you did none of these things. And you will all go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. There are only two kingdoms. There are only two destinations, the kingdom of the King Jesus and his kingdom and the kingdom of the devil. There are only two types of people, those who put their trust in Jesus, who are children of King Jesus, and those who are children of the devil. There are only two eternal destinations. And as God's word says, now is a time of God's favor. Today is the day of salvation. Without having faith in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, we are merely rebellious, sinful weeds. Only God can give us faith to trust in Jesus and to transform us from those ugly, wretched weeds into his beautiful wheat. As always, Jesus wants us to apply this parable to our lives. Jesus wants to apply this parable and all of God's word to our lives. Knowing that Jesus, the Son of Man, has planted us in this world, we can know that we will be growing in his kingdom by God's grace. If we are a child of King Jesus, then we will be growing in his kingdom by God's grace. And we know that because of our sin, because of sin in this world, there will be growing pains. There'll be weeds around us. But God promises to provide all that we need for life and godliness. As, as we are growing, we will be growing with a world of weeds all around us. Satan is going to continue to try and deceive us, cause doubt, discouragement, division. But sometimes these weeds will be even hard to identify at first. But as we grow, we will be identified by our fruit. If we are truly trusting in Jesus alone, we will bear fruit. God promises that his children will be producing fruit that will last. We will be producing fruit that will last. And Jesus gives us all that we need to grow and produce fruit. He gives us the Holy Spirit. He gives us the scriptures. He gives us prayer and the sacraments. And he gives us his church and one another. The fruit of our lives will be the evidence that we are children of King Jesus. And lastly, I believe that Jesus is telling us that we need to be waiting patiently until the end of the age, until the return of Jesus. We need to be waiting patiently until the return of King Jesus. Waiting can, can seem so hard, especially when we're waiting with weeds all around us. When there is discouragement, there is frustration. In 2 Peter chapter 3, it says that in the last days, there will be those scoffing and following their own sinful desires, and they will say, where is this promise of his coming? But the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that anyone should perish, 
but that they should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. So in light of what we know will happen on that day of harvest, on that day of harvest, you know people who do not know Jesus, and they're going to be thrown away forever in the lake of fire. In light of knowing that, we should be ever more diligent in sharing the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of Man who came to seek and to save sinners like you and me. And as the weeds are all around us, we need to be praying that God will give those weeds faith because he alone is able to transform them and make them his wheat. Let's pray. Father God in heaven, we thank you and we praise you for who you are. We thank you that you are the one true God. Lord, you are the one who plants your people in this world. Lord, you are the one who gives us faith to believe. You are the one who allows us to grow and bear fruit. We pray, Lord, that you would help us in in this world, in this time where we are existing among the weeds and amongst doubt and discouragement, disillusionment and disunity, that you would help us look to you and and be strengthened. Help us, Lord, to be aware of the schemes of the devil, knowing that you will give us all that we need to, to in that fight, Lord God. Help us, Lord, to be reminded of those who are not yet your children. Help us to, Lord, be ever diligent in sharing the gospel that you would be given glory, that your kingdom would continue to grow for your glory. For it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.